0: In preparing for today, there was a story that I've heard many, many times. Undoubtedly, you've all heard this story. Uh, But I went back and found the original, one of Aesop's fables. Um, There once was a tortoise walking through the woods. And a hare happened to jump up to the tortoise. And it just boggled the mind of the hare. How in the world the tortoise got anything done? And he began to ask the tortoise, have y'all ever heard this story? See, you you don't know how it's going to end. Just act like you don't know how it's going to end. It'll be a shock to you. Um, And so he began to ask the tortoise, how in the world do you get anything done? And he began to really lay into him. Uh, And the tortoise finally responded and said, fine, you want to see how I get stuff done? Let's have a race. You, Mr. Hare, and me, Mr. Tortoise, and we'll race and we'll see how we do. And so they organize this big race and all the animals from the forest come and the the fox is going to serve as the judge of the race and they line up and the fox is standing there and he says to the tortoise and the hare, on your mark, get set, go. And before the tortoise even makes his first step, the hare is so far off in the distance that they can't see him anymore. And the tortoise just takes his step and takes his next step. And well, the hare being so far out in the distance... Over the horizon, he says, just to prove a point in how much better my way fast is than the tortoise's way slow, I'm just going to lay down and take a nap. Just to prove it doesn't really matter how he, thinks he what he thinks he can do. And so the tortoise goes, or the hare goes, and lays down under a tree and takes a nap. Well, he takes a nap about 20 yards from the finish line. And he wakes up just in time to look and see the tortoise walking across the finish line, and he is beside himself. He gets up and he runs over there. and and He cannot believe that the tortoise beat him. And the tortoise looked back at the hare, and he said those famous words, slow and steady, win the race. Slow and steady, win the race. And that is the idea is sometimes like with the hare, his hubris his pride distracted him to where he thought he was absolutely confident he had this thing in the bag I mean just because that tortoise doesn't know any he didn't know how to walk he didn't know how to run he just knows how to go slow what, why is it why even exist in this world if you're just going to go slow and he ended up losing to the tortoise who just took one slow deliberate step after another but consistency paid off and he made it there before the hare well we're going to look today in Matthew chapter 14 at an instance of this we've been talking about the way of Jesus these last few weeks and what it looks like to to go in the way of Jesus to do like Jesus did to walk like Jesus walked to live like Jesus lived last week we talked about interruptions had to be okay with interruptions, and Jesus was interrupted all the time. It almost seemed like everywhere Jesus went, what he was doing, what he was teaching on, he was interrupted by somebody, somehow, some way. And he always responded with great care and compassion for the sake of the one who was doing the interrupting. Well, today in John chapter 14, we're gonna see a very familiar story, but in in a maybe in a different light. You see, here in John 14, Jesus' relative, who John the Baptist was Jesus' relative, John the Baptist had been beheaded. He had been killed. And word got to Jesus of this happening. And so with his relative, his friend, being killed, Jesus told his disciples, I just want to get away for a little bit. Um, let's try to get away from, from everybody and, and everything going on. I just need to get away and pray, which he often did, Jesus. Uh, and so they start to go somewhere somewhere to go off and pray by themselves, a little prayer retreat. But as they go, uh, they get to this area where they're going to go and pray. They're going to go up in this little mountain and Jesus is going to pray. Uh, they're accosted almost by thousands and thousands, I mean, you know, 10, 12, 15,000 people show up. And Jesus, the scripture says, has compassion on them. And he heals and then he teaches. But he doesn't just teach a little bit. You know, he's remember, he's trying to get away to, to take care of, you know, himself to go up and pray, because his that relative, his friend, John the Baptist, died. Uh, but he spends all day with these people. He doesn't try to get out of there quick. He invests in the interruption and spends time with them and loves on them. And he teaches all day long. Doesn't take a bathroom break, doesn't take a, a lunch break. He teaches all day long. In the scripture, actually here in Matthew chapter 14, it says, when it was evening, the disciples came to him and said, Jesus, we're in the middle of nowhere. All these people need to go and get some food. Jesus, we're hungry and you haven't stopped teaching all day long. Why don't you stop teaching so they can go and get food? And Jesus turns to his disciples and says, All right, you give them some food. And the disciples look back at Jesus and say, What do you mean? We, we can't give them food, Jesus. We're a bunch of poor disciples following a poor teacher. We, we don't have enough money to feed these people, much less you know, for one day. I mean, for everybody to get one crumb, even if all 12 of us worked for an entire year, we wouldn't have enough money for this. Well, if you know the story, Jesus is brought the lunch of a little kid, and he turns that little kid's lunch into enough food, not only for the whole crowd, but to have a bunch left over for the thousands and thousands of people. And the scripture actually says, they all ate and were satisfied. They were filled to being full, like Thanksgiving, unbuckle your pants, full. And Jesus uh, uh, shows them this incredible miracle, the feeding of the 5,000. And then at the end of that, he still wants to go up and pray. Now it's nighttime. And so he's going to do something here that's it's very unique. So look with me in Matthew chapter 14, uh, starting in verse 22. So if you're going to use a Bible in the pew rack, it's on page 820. Um, you can look there. And if you don't have a Bible, take that Bible home. That you're using on the pew rack. That is your Bible. You can have it. Just take it. Um, But there we're going to be in Matthew chapter 14. Also be on the screen uh, as well. Verse 22. Immediately he made the disciples get into the boat and go before him to the other side while he dismissed the crowds. And after he dismissed the crowds, he went up on the mountain by himself to pray. When evening came, he was there alone. Now, I've always wondered, I mean, Scripture doesn't say this, and we can ask Jesus when we get to heaven. He's, he dismisses the crowd of thousands by himself. I've always wondered, what did Jesus say to dismiss the crowds? You know, there's been points that the crowds have wanted to go and make Jesus a king, and they've wanted to continue to hear him on way past when he was going to leave. They wanted to have more healing. They, 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 they wanted more interaction. They just could not get enough of him. But somehow, Jesus convinces the crowd, you guys need to go home. And so he dismisses the crowd all by himself, having already put his disciples on a boat to go across the water, and he's going to meet them on the other side. And he goes up on this mountain that's there, and he goes by himself to pray. Now, in this particular area of the country, this mountain that's there by this lake, you can still go there today. You can sit on the mountain, you can see out over the sea. And so Jesus is up on the mountain, it's the middle of the night, and he's praying And he's looking out over the water, and he can see the boat of his disciples as they go across the water. Look at verse 24. But the boat by this time was a long way from the land, beaten by the waves, for the wind was against them. So the wind is against them, and they're trying to get to the other side. So most likely they're rowing. And they're not making much headway because the wind is so powerful. This region is known for sudden and intense storms. They're fighting the wind, they're fighting the waves, they're trying to row. It's the middle of the night. They've been doing it for hours, and they can't get there. I mean, it's, a, it's basically a storm there raging and blowing into them. And Jesus is on the mountain praying, able to see all of this. Verse 25. Now, in the fourth watch of the night, he came to them walking on the sea. This is like right before sunrise. So he prayed all through the evening. He prayed all through the early morning. He, he gets all the way to right before sunrise when it's the darkest in the night. And it says he comes walking to them on the sea. Now, if, if you've ever read Scripture, or even if you haven't read Scripture, this story is so ingrained in culture that people know about Jesus walking on water, even if they know nothing else about Jesus. They know about Jesus walking on water. And we have this, this concept baked into our brains But you've got to understand the perspective of the disciples, seeing Jesus walking on water, seeing a a person in the middle of a storm coming to them walking on water. They have no context for this. They've never heard of this, somebody walking on water. No no, no way to to frame this, this, this idea in their mind. So when they look out in the middle of the storm and they see this man, this person, walking on water, it strikes them in a very different way. Uh, Verse 26, but when the disciples saw him walking on the sea, they were terrified and said, it is a ghost, and they cried out in fear. You see, in in their minds and their culture, even the way they had been raised, they were more familiar with the supernatural concept of ghosts than they were of God's power to make somebody walk on water. And so they instantly went there, it's a ghost, and they, they, they become Incredibly afraid because something is so out of the ordinary, so unique, it could not possibly be God doing something miraculous. It has to be a ghost. These guys who were followers of Jesus, who've seen him do miraculous things, it never entered their mind yet that this is something miraculous. They go straight to the ghost idea. It's a ghost. Verse 27. But immediately Jesus spoke to them, saying, Take heart, it is I. Do not be afraid. So Jesus speaks, and his voice carries. They're able to hear it. But if you look at this next verse we're going to look at, they still don't quite believe it. They would recognize Jesus' voice. They may be able now at some point, knowing, hearing him say it's him, to, to recognize some of his physical features. But look at Peter's response. And Peter answered, Lord, if it is you, command me to come to you on the water. And so we see some things here in Peter's response. We see that Peter has enough faith to believe that Jesus can do this. But he doesn't yet believe this is Jesus. Peter says, if it is you, which I know Jesus could do this, command me to come on water and and prove it to us all. Prove it to us all. And you could say Peter had great faith. He's the only one willing to say this. Yes, yes. The other disciples may have thought it and not said it. They may have thought Peter was nuts getting out of the water in the storm. I mean, he's going to die, no matter how good of a swimmer he might be. And so he says, if it is you, command me to come to you on the water. And Jesus says one word, verse 29. He said, come. So Peter got out of the boat and walked on the water and came to Jesus. So Peter gets out of the boat gets out, you know, I've always wondered, too, how he got out of the boat. Like, do you think he was careful in getting out of the boat, and he, one toe in, next toe in, you think he just jumped over the side, having full faith it was going to hold him when he got there? I mean, we don't know, we'll have to ask Peter, so demonstrate for me how you got out of the boat, Peter. I just want to, I just want to see it, like, I mean, I know your personality, you're, you're the cannonball kind of guy, but I just want to know, just interesting to know how you got out of the boat. So he gets out of the boat, and he walked on the water and came to Jesus. Now, I really love the way these these, these apostles write these gospels. You know, Matthew, who wrote this, is one of the guys in the boat. He's watching this take place. And he says this, one of the most miraculous things in such a, you know, easygoing, mundane way. Peter got out of the boat and walked on water and went to Jesus. No exclamation points, just very simple. Yeah, Peter, he got out of the boat and walked on water whoop. And so Peter's out there and he's walked, we don't know how far he went. He may have gone a good little ways, we don't know. But he's walking on top of the water and going towards Jesus. But, verse 30, when he saw the wind, he was afraid. And beginning to sink, he cried out, Lord, save me. And we learn something in this verse too. You know, they were all afraid before when they saw the man walking on water and they thought it was a ghost. And then the fear left Peter when he stepped out in faith. But now Peter takes his eyes off Jesus and the fear returns. And the fear returns. You know, it's been said, doubt is not the opposite of faith. Fear is. And so when Peter takes his eyes off of Jesus, the faith leaves him and the fear comes. But when moments before, when he put his eyes on Jesus, the fear left, and faith overpowered him. And so now the fear is overwhelming, and he begins to sink. And he cries out, as he's sinking into the water, Lord, save me. Verse 31, Jesus jumps over there. Jesus immediately reached out his hand and took hold of him, saying to him, Oh, you of little faith, why did you doubt? I find this interesting, too, that Jesus said this to Peter. It almost sounds like as he's pulling him up out of the water, he says in his ear, oh, you of little faith, why did you doubt? But in order for Matthew, who wrote this down to know this, Peter would have had to have told them, this is what Jesus said to me. He said, oh, you of little faith, why did you doubt? Why did you doubt, why did you doubt that I could hold you up? Why were you, why, did, why, why were you more, you had more faith in the confidence that the wind and the waves were going to overpower you than you did in my power to hold you up, which I was already doing. And when they got in the boat, the wind ceased. So I love that too. They had to walk back through the storm into the boat while Jesus was holding Peter. And those in the boat worshiped him saying, truly you are the son of God. So Peter miraculously walks with Jesus through a storm. But I do want to point out there in, um, where are we? That verse 29 Peter got out of the boat and walked on the water. Peter walked on the water. He didn't run. He didn't hurry. He walked on the water. Now, if you're getting out and you're walking on water, are you going to want to get to Jesus as quick as possible? Like, just maybe the water won't hold you up long enough. You just got to get there as quick as possible. You just kind of tiptoe across and you get there kind of deal. Well, that's not what happened here. Peter walked. He walked. He didn't hurry. He didn't rush. He walked across the water. He took slow, deliberate steps on his way over to where Jesus was. And only when he took his eyes off of Jesus did his footing falter, and he fell. He was taking those slow steps. He was walking with intentionality. And only really by walking with Jesus as our guide can we make it through any kind of storm that we face in this life. Because if we outpace our guide we won't know where to go. If we outpace our guide, we won't know where to go. Let me give you an illustration of this. Jonathan, come here. Jonathan is going to be Jesus. He gets mistaken for Jesus all the time. <laughs> so if we're walking, and Jonathan is Jesus. Stand right here, Jonathan. And we're walking together. I've got my hand on Jesus. I've got my eyes on Jesus. He just walk that way. I know where I'm going, but if I start to think, well, Jesus, this is taking forever. Jesus, I mean, come on, I got to get over there. I got to, I got to get to the door. I got to go to the bathroom. Jesus, can we just go a little? F- Jesus, come on. I mean, we're getting passed by snails. Jesus, I mean for real. And I start to outpace Jesus. Jesus, is still moving. So keep moving, Jesus. But I start outpacing Jesus because Jesus, he's going this way. I know where I'm going. Jesus is going, but now I don't know. Is Jesus going to go down here? Is he going to go up that door? Is he going to turn over here maybe because maybe there's something over there I need to experience, I need to learn. But if I'm going this way, I don't see the turn. And I've outpaced my guide. And I end up somewhere I don't need to be. I end up doing something I don't need to be doing or listening to people I don't need to listen to because I'm not standing with Jesus if I were standing with Jesus and looking at Jesus, I wouldn't be looking at that other mess. I wouldn't be over here about to fall off a cliff. Jesus would say, hey, there's stairs coming. Just watch out. I mean, back when we had that little stage piece, some of y'all thought I was going to fall off of that all the time, right? Yeah, Jesus thought I would. <laughs> but if Jesus is my guide and I'm walking with Jesus, then I see where he's going. He's taking one step. Okay, I'm going to step there. Another step. Okay, I'm going to step there. And I know where to go because I'm following my guide. I'm with my guide. All right, thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jonathan. So now he can go home this afternoon and he can say, Kids, bring me this. I'm Jesus. Alyssa, I'm Jesus. <laughs> yeah, that's not gonna fly. Uh, but we we all tend to do this sometimes. Sometimes we get so hurried. That we outpace our guide and we miss what he's saying to us because we're trying to get there faster we're trying to hurry it up it's it's like when we're driving in our car and we got the gps up there right it's got the eta on the bottom and the eps cl- the, the the eta clicks back one minute and you're like i made up a minute i'm beating google right now Waze has no idea how good i am at driving but we try to do this sometimes with our lives like get there faster do something quicker And in hurrying through things, we may miss exactly what he's telling us. Do you ever feel like you don't have enough time? Anybody ever feel that? If if only I had one more hour. You know what we would do with one more hour? Fill it up with more junk. All those people in history who accomplished so much had the same amount of time you did. Einstein had 24 hours in a day. I was talking to Caleb the other day. uh, um, I can't remember what we were... We were going somewhere, maybe the doctor at Walmart, and we were talking about Churchill. We don't always talk about Churchill in the car, but uh, something popped in my head, and I ran off with it. uh, And we were talking about Churchill. And we were talking about sleep, that's what it was. Uh, Talking about Churchill, you know, in the middle of World War II, when London was getting bombed every single day by the Germans, they were bombing the city. People would wake up the next, you know, when, when Germany was bombing London, I don't know if you've read much about it, Uh, But uh, air air raid sirens would go off every evening before sun would go down. And they would tell everybody, turn off all your lights. You're not allowed to go out after dark. Stay hunkered down, maybe in a bunker if you can find one. Because what the Germans would do is they would come in at night and look for light. And fly over London and drop bombs wherever they could. And so people would wake up the next morning and walk out and realize their neighbor's house was destroyed and everyone killed. And they had no idea they they cuz everywhere they hear is bombs but in the middle of all of this churchill protected his sleep because he knew that if he did not sleep he would be exhausted and he would make poor decisions and so he would take naps every day because he knew i need to to be at my best and if i'm not at my best i'm going to make poor decisions and so he built it into his schedule and slowed down every day and took naps so that he could make sure he was at his best. In the midst of one of the greatest you know, uh, uh, struggles that Britain went through, London getting bombed. I mean, imagine if every night the Queen got bombed. That would be intense. That would be incredibly scary. But he knew he needed that time. He needed to slow it down. And take that time, otherwise he would make a poor decision and more people would die. And so when we're walking with Jesus, sometimes we just got to slow it down. So we don't run ahead of him and miss what he has for us. Try to move too fast and miss what he would like us to see. Like driving down the highway and everything looks like it's moving at a certain pace, but there's things that you may miss on the side of the road because you're moving at a certain speed. And you don't see that it's there. You know, Jesus, we, I mentioned several weeks ago in John 21 25, um, when John, one of Jesus' disciples, wrote the last verse of the book of John. I think I have it on. Do I have this on the screen, Tony? There it is. Uh, John wrote this. He says, Now there are also many other things that Jesus did. And were every one of them to be written, I suppose that the world itself could not contain the books that would be written. So Jesus who walked everywhere he went, who never hurried, who was always interrupted. He did public ministry for a couple of years, and he did so much stuff in those couple of years always being interrupted that we would not be able to have enough paper in the world, and the world itself could not contain how many books would be written about all of that stuff he did. And if you really go back and read the Gospels, almost the entire, uh, I say almost the entire, maybe almost a, a third to half of the Gospels are only about one week of his life. That's a lot. <laughs> if you read the book of John, I mean the whole last second, I mean it's like half of the book of John, it's almost all about the last week of his life. And John said there's just so much that he did and he never hurried, he never ran. He always walked, he went, he just went there. I mentioned it last week, the only time that we have mentioned in scripture that, that he got on an animal what kind of animal was it? A donkey. Obviously the fastest animal on the planet. Because it wasn't about getting there quick. Because if you, if you just hurry past it, you may miss what you need to see. If you run ahead of Jesus, you may miss what he has you to miss. Now, if Jesus says you need to take a little faster step, you need to do that. You wait until Jesus says go. And when he says go, you don't stop until he says stop. But when he says stop, you stop immediately. Jesus always walked everywhere. Jesus never hurried in he, in he, uh, where he went. He had plans. He had things that he needed to get done. And the thing is, he got them all done. He got them all done. That's why he was able to say on the cross, it is finished. He did everything on his to-do list. Not one thing was left undone. And yet he never hurried. He was never anxious or worried about getting it all done, about not forgetting anything. You say, well, he was Jesus. Of course, I'm not going to forget anything. I mean, for Pete's sake, he's a son of God. Well, yes, he is. But he's also human, just like you are. And he was moving at a pace that allowed him to accomplish everything God had for him to accomplish. I don't know, have you ever heard of Larry Bird. Some of you. He was an amazing basketball player. I uh, <laughs> a lot of funny quotes popped in my head about Larry Bird. Uh, but the thing about Larry Bird and how he became so so good at a time when guys like him were not becoming good. He was being interviewed one time. He said, Larry, how are you able to do it? How are you able to move past guys who are faster than you? how are you able to pop those threes with guys right in your face? How are you able to pass the ball right at the right moment to the guys that need to get it to make the shot? And Larry said, well, because I play the game in slow motion in my head. I have to slow it down to be able to see what I need to see and go where I need to go. And if I don't slow it down and just pay attention to what, you know, how fast the game can be, then I miss what needs to happen. Sometimes we just got to Slow it down. But sometimes people in our society, in our culture, see slow as weak, see slow as less than. You're not going fast, you're going backwards. But Jesus always moved at a slower pace. You know, I think the struggle that we all have in, in, in hurrying is that sometimes we have elevated things that maybe are not essential to the necessary list in our mind and we've elevated some things that may not need to be there just like when, when certain individuals cause us great anxiety because of what they say or what they do it may be because we've elevated their opinion over that of jesus and we do that sometimes with our tasks if we are not able to accomplish certain things maybe we have elevated those things over and above what jesus would have for us that day Maybe we have stepped out in front of our guide, and we're missing what he would have for us, and we end up in anxiety and struggle, and the issue that we were worried about is still there. So I was thinking about this this week and and studying this, and I had the question, you know, having this compulsion to do more, to get more done, to get more done faster, where does that compulsion come from? I mean, it's almost like it's hardwired into us, but... If it doesn't come from God and Jesus never hurried anywhere, where did it come from? Well, then it has to come from one place. It has to come from the enemy. It has to come from him. Because he's trying to get our eyes off of our guide. He's trying to get us to to stop looking at our guide, to to move beyond our guide, to move out into an area of of life where we don't need to be. And he's trying to do that in, in every way possible. And I'll tell you something the enemy's good at. He's good at temptation. He's good at distraction. And he's seen somebody like you before. He's seen a lot of people. He's been around a long time. He knows what buttons to push. He knows what things to bring into your mind to get you distracted and pulled away from your guide because he's seen somebody like you before. He's got some good strategies. That doesn't make him good. Just makes him effective. But his effectiveness is going to run out one day. So what we have to do then we have to keep our eyes on Jesus. And if he can get us out of lockstep, if he can get us out of sync with Jesus, then, then what good will we be to the king? So what we have to do is we have to keep pace with Jesus at all times. We've got to keep pace with Jesus. We've got to match his stride. We've got to match his gait. We've got to match how he steps. We've got to keep pace with Jesus at all times. You say, but I can't physically see Jesus. How can I keep pace with him? Through prayer. You keep pace with Jesus by conversation, communication with Jesus. Yes, speaking, you, displaying your heart and transparency, but listening to him, listening to his guidance and his direction. We can only keep pace with Jesus when we pray with him. And that's what prayer is. It's communication with Jesus. Communication with him. That's his will for us is to communicate with him. That's how we will know. Paul writes about this in 1 Thessalonians 5. Rejoice always. Pray without ceasing. Give thanks in all circumstances. For this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. Pray without ceasing. This is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. God's will is to never stop praying. His will is to never stop. Never stop. Always be in communication with Jesus. Always be speaking with him. I mean, Jesus himself, we just saw uh, in that passage when he went to walk on water, he was up on the mountain and he prayed throughout the night, but that wasn't the only time he did it. In Luke chapter 6, verse 12, In these days he went out to the mountain to pray, and all night he continued in prayer to God. Jesus never hurried when he did anything, even in prayer. He didn't hurry through prayer. He prayed all night long. And he was Jesus. And he prayed all night long, dedicated that time, invested in that time. He prayed throughout the night. He didn't even hurry his prayers. There's this great quote that I've got in my office on a post-it note above my desk. And I'm going to put it on the screen for you. You need to write it down. It's by a man named Walter Adams. He said this, hurry is the death of prayer, and only impedes and spoils our work, it never advances it. Hurry is the death of prayer, only impedes and spoils our work, it never advances it. And I began to think through that, and sometimes when I would pray, I would feel the Lord bring that quote back up to my mind. Are you just trying to hurry through this to get to the end? It's almost like bringing the, you know, the, the spiritual checklist before Jesus. Okay, I, I gave it to you. Now the ball's in your court, Jesus. I'm going to go off and do the rest of my stuff and let you handle that. But sometimes we need to give stuff to Jesus and leave it alone because it hangs over us like a cloud. But we need to do it in faith rather than doing it because we just don't want to mess with it. Just doing it as a checklist. Doing it as, as I've said my prayers today, I'm good to go kind of deal. Because prayer isn't meant to be that. It's meant to be a conversation. It's meant to be continual communication. It's meant to be you bringing your desperate needs to the only one who can do something about them. And when we hurry through it, he's exactly right. It is the death of prayer. Well, we're not bringing the prayer in faith that Jesus is going to take care of it. It's almost as though we're trusting in the words we say rather than the one we bring our words to. When we hurry through it. Just got to get through it as quick as possible. Sometimes we we, we should be saying prayers while we're doing something. We see that in Nehemiah. Nehemiah, at the beginning of the book, went to the king and brought brought an issue to the king. And it says while he spoke to the king, he was praying in his spirit. Multitasking. He wasn't hurrying. But he was bringing his concern and, and asking the Lord for direction and guidance and favor with the king while he was speaking with the king. We have to be careful when we pray that we're not just trying to rush through it and invest in that time. I mean, if Jesus, who is God, goes off and prays and invests dedicated time, when he had a lot of stuff to do, he, I, mean, he, I guarantee you, I guarantee you, Jesus had more to do than you do. He had more people to see, he had more people to heal, he had more people to teach, and he had to die and raise from the dead. When's the last time you did that one? And he invested time to pray. It was, I believe it was John Wesley, and I've said this before as well, who had twice as much stuff to do one day, and so he got up twice as early because he felt like he could not accomplish twice as much stuff if he did not have twice as much uh, uh, investment from the Lord in that time. Because he needed more prayer. Prayer is necessary. It's how we communicate with Jesus. It's how we know we, are, we, we, we follow his pacing and not our own. as if we walk with Jesus. You know, far more often than we care to admit, maybe, maybe you're holy, maybe it's not you. I know it's me. Far more often than I care to admit, I shortchange my prayers. And that's not Jesus' design. That's not his will as we saw there in 1 Thessalonians. And when we hurry through our prayer, what we're really doing is we are seeking to outpace Jesus. We're seeking to get there faster, get there quicker. Come on, Jesus, if you just really hurry up. See how fast I just said that prayer Jesus? That's how fast I want you to do it. (laughs) You just need to do it faster, Jesus. And when we hurry past Jesus, our footing fails And then we end up scrambling to do what we think is best because we are out of pace with Jesus and so we can't hear him anymore. We'd scramble to do what we think is best rather than what God thinks is best. And we end up at a place where we're walking around trying to figure out what to do, not listening to Jesus because we have outpaced him. But in reality, if we would only listen, we would discover he was still with us. Even if we attempted to walk off and leave him, If we just turn around to find him, he's right there, ready to guide us right back where he wants us to be. He's not going to let us wander off on our own, even no matter how hard we try. He will walk with us and be with us in the midst of a self-created storm. Self-created self-destruction. He'll still walk with us, still be there with us. we just got to turn back to him, and he will guide us where we need to go. Case in point, Jonah... Ran for thousands of miles away from God. Swallowed by a big fish. When did he turn back to God? After he got eaten by the fish. And where did he find God? With him in the belly of the fish. Maybe you're in the belly of a fish now. Low as you can go. Surrounded by fish guts. Stinky as all get out. Jesus is right there with you. Turn to him and he'll show you where to go. You may still end up getting vomited out, like Jonah, but he'll walk with you where you need to go. We gotta walk with him, though. Walk with him. Because slow, deliberate steps with Jesus outdo hurry every single time. Slow, deliberate steps with Jesus outdo hurry every time. Slow, deliberate steps. And so examine your own life. Do you recognize any areas in your life where the enemy tries to get you to hurry instead of taking slow, deliberate steps? Where do you end up hurrying? Have you ever lost your temper with your kids or your family on the way out the door to church? Hurry up! For Pete's sake, get your shoes on! We're just going to go to church with that on. It's Totally ground, anyway. None of you have ever lost your temper, right, with your family or friends on your way to church? It doesn't happen, Right? Y'all are all too close. You're too holy. Right? <laughs> I tell you, I mean, Katie and I've talked about it many times. There's something about Sundays or Wednesdays right before church. The enemy comes with a gusto. <laughs> just one more thing, like cows getting out. It's just one more thing. One of the is come for Pete's sake. I mean, why couldn't this happen? It was Saturday yesterday. I had nothing. Why couldn't it just then? It's gotta happen now and then I lose my cool and we get into church and the preacher's talking about slowing down and not hurrying it's like God knew what I was going through or something it's better to be five minutes late The doors are they're unlocked we removed the locks on those doors a long time ago better to be five minutes late and keep your witness with your family then lose your cool and sit next to him and sing, what a friend we have in Jesus. (laughs) (laughs) You're not my friend. Siri said she doesn't understand what I'm saying. (laughs) What a friend we have in Jesus. You're not my friend right now, but what a friend we have in Jesus. Not you, you're terrible. What a friend we have in Jesus. (sighs) It's better to keep your witness then blow it because you're trying to hurry, trying to run, trying to get there faster and quicker. Because maybe God had a a specifically designed moment for you that would have lasted a lifetime with that person. That they'll remember in 50 years. You won't, but maybe they will. and It'll have a lasting impact if you respond in slowness and kindness. I used to have this plaque in my office. I looked for it a, like a month ago, and I can't find it. I don't know where it went. Maybe in a box somewhere. It was a picture of John Wayne. Love John Wayne. I wish everybody made doors smaller so you look bigger. But anyway, here's John Wayne. And it said, uh, a, a quote from him, walk slow, or it said, uh, talk low, talk slow carry a big stick (laughs) talk low talk slow you don't need to be incredibly loud incredibly over the top you just need to be present Jesus never hurried he was just there Jesus went and did allowed the interruptions to come in he loved always with great compassion and he invested incredible time in prayer Setting the example for us, in order to keep pace with Jesus, we've got to invest that time with him. How do we slow our own steps? What can we do to trim back in our lives to make more room for Jesus? That's the challenge for this week. Slow down your prayer time. Or maybe start a daily prayer time. Slow it down, start it slow, and set your pace to that of Jesus. Set your pace to that of Jesus. You know, we started this series with a passage from uh, Matthew chapter 11. This is not going to be on your screens um, because the Lord gave this to me last night at 1030. Uh, Matthew chapter 11, verse 28 through 30. This was our key passage really for the whole series of, of walking with Jesus, the way of Jesus. Jesus said, come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy, and my burden is light. My yoke is easy. And we looked before at how how can I find rest for my soul when Jesus wants to give me a yoke, a tool of work? How can work be rest? Well, if we're walking with Jesus as our guide, he can be rest-filled. Even when we're having to do a lot and accomplish a lot, we can still be experiencing peace and restfulness if we're walking with Jesus. But what is a yoke used for? It's a tool, right, for farming a crop. And I did some research uh, last night, late at night, um, as the Lord was giving this to me. Uh, some of you may know, some of you are farmers and, and, and are gardeners for a long time. You know, back in the day when they used yokes on animals in this way, the animals were driven slowly so that the line that they were, you know, making, so they could plant the seed, would be straight. The intention being that then as the crops would grow, they could walk the line and weed it in an easier fashion. They could pull out the weeds, the weeds that may choke out the crop, the weeds that may kill the crop. They could remove them. And then when harvest time came, it would be easier to harvest as they would walk the line and harvest them by hand. You see, if the line wasn't straight and all over the place, they might miss some weeds that would kill some of the harvest. What God, intended them to ble- to, to, what God intended to bless them with, to bring abundance, they may miss it. Because the line wasn't straight. You see, if you drive the animals too fast, the line's not going to be straight. It's going to be all over the map. You're going to have zigzags. You're going to have all this stuff. It's going to be crazy. It's going to drive somebody who's OCD out of their mind. And I don't know anybody like that as I look down and see that pew line, how it's off center. Anyway, um, that messed me up. I'm going to stop looking down the middle. Uh, uh, But if it's zigzagging all over the place, you're going to miss some weeds when you go back. And those weeds are going to come in, and the weeds are going to creep up, and they're going to choke out what should be blessing you. They're going to choke out what should be growth within the field. And so the lines need to be straight. And so if you take the yoke of Jesus you got a straight line it's easier to pull out the weeds it's easier when the harvest comes to collect all of the harvest that the Lord brings to bless you with but you got to go at the right pace slow and deliberate steps because when Jesus sets your pace you find more grace that doesn't mean there's more, that more grace comes into your life. It just means you're going slow enough to see it. You're going slow enough to experience it. You're going slow enough to dish it out to those around you and not blow past them in an effort to accomplish your list and, and, and uh, uh, miss the opportunity to share the grace and to share the love to those around you. You've got to set the pace to Jesus. Not to how the world tells you to set your pace, Not to how your clock tells you to set your pace. How Jesus tells you to set your pace. You know how much sleep people got before the clock, before the wristwatch? You know how much sleep people got? No, it's not even that. It's before the the electricity came into the house. And electricity came into the house. They're able to plug stuff in. They're able to keep lights on. They're able to plug a clock in. You know how long people slept then? Ten hours a night. You know what the average is now? It's six and a half worldwide. I think if I could get six and a half, it'd be nice. But it decreased from 10 to six and a half, all in an effort to do more, accomplish more, get there faster. And now how many people have stress-related problems, anxiety-related problems? heart attack-related problems. They still had them back then, no doubt. But when we outpace how we were designed, it breaks us down faster. It crushes us when we move at a pace we weren't designed to move at. And not only that, we miss everything God has for us. Everything God has for us to pour into other people. Because we're moving at a pace, we weren't supposed to move at at all. So we have to set our pace to Jesus. Follow our guide. Slow and deliberate steps with Jesus. So that's your ch- the challenge I mentioned a minute ago. Slow down your prayer time. That means you get up a little bit earlier? Get up a little bit earlier. Use your electricity and set your alarm. <laughs> and invest that time with Jesus. You say, I run out of stuff to pray for in about 30 seconds. I have to just sit there in the silence and and listen. Conversations aren't meant to be one-sided. Sometimes they are. Some of us talk more than others. But when we're conversing with Jesus, we need to allow him to speak. He's Jesus, so he can speak into our lives and guide us and direct us so we know the pace we need to set. We know how his steps are moving and we can follow after him. And so you have to ask yourself, or I'm asking you, will you set your pace to Jesus? Maybe some of you, before you leave here, need to hop on your phone and maybe delete some apps. Or cancel some binging accounts. Because that's sucking up more of your time than Jesus. Creating more anxiety and more pressure and more stress because you're not listening to him. I'm not saying you have to. I'm just saying maybe the Lord's already been speaking to your heart and now I'm just saying it and it's making you really uncomfortable and you're avoiding my eye contact right now. I saw you when I said it. Some of you went like this. Some of you also hit the person you're sitting next to. Don't do that. Um, set your pace to Jesus and see what happens in your life. Just, just see what happens. Try, try it. Use it as an experiment. You know, stuff that I bring to you guys to challenge you to do with, I've already been experimenting in my own life for a while, just trying to see. I'm not going to bring it to you if I haven't experimented on myself first. I'm not going to say try it until I've tried it first. And I've been exper- it's not easy, I'll promise you that right now. I don't do great. <laughs> I try and mess up and fail and try again. Get up, try again. Get hit, get hit hard, try again. As a great philosopher, and I've quoted him many times, Rocky Balboa said, "It's not how hard you get hit; it's about, or it's not how, about how hard you can hit back. It's about how, how how hard you can get hit and keep moving forward. So get up and keep moving forward. Try it. Slow it down. Jesus, today was a rough day. I hurried and I said some stuff walking out the door. I said some stuff walking in. here. I blew past that person standing in the hallway out there, Jesus. And I know I should have stopped and talked." but I would have been late to my seat and somebody else would have sat where I would usually sit. And I wouldn't be able to listen because the seat's not contoured to me and it would have been uncomfortable and I wouldn't have liked it. So I blew right past that person, Jesus. Maybe that's what you need to do is when we sing in just a second, you need to go talk to the person Jesus told you to talk to out there in the hallway. Maybe you need to apologize to somebody who rode in your car this morning. <laughs> Say, I'm sorry. I was so dead set on getting there fast and hurrying that I messed up. And let's walk at a pace of Jesus together. Maybe today there's someone in the room or someone watching online who you need to set your pace to Jesus for the very first time. Very first time ever. And you need to believe in him today. Believe that Jesus is God's son. That he died so all your sins would be forgiven. And then he rose from the dead so you can live after you die. Maybe you need to believe in that today. You and somebody just did on Wednesday. One of the youth here in this room got saved Wednesday night. Maybe you need to get saved today. Believe in Jesus today. A young man's going to be baptized this Wednesday. I encourage you to come. You got to see this. Maybe you need to get saved today and come and be baptized with him. Maybe that's what you need to do. Believe in Jesus today. Don't hesitate. Don't argue. Don't wait. That's the pace he's setting for you. Take those slow, deliberate steps this morning. Walk the green carpet and talk to me. Or you can also, this is something we're experimenting with, right outside those doors, there's a little iPad set up, and it's got some uh, little punch-through buttons you can click on it. Uh, You you can say there, you made a decision this morning, or or, uh, if you need prayer, or even when the service is over and you're looking for a small group, they're all listed there on that iPad. You can go and click on there. I want to go to a small group. Um, You can volunteer and do all that stuff. Uh, But if you want to make a decision, make it today. Don't argue with God. Don't delay it. Don't put it off. Make that decision. Don't let the enemy distract you from where God wants you to go. Walk in step with Jesus at his pace in his time today.